joining i see some people are driving some people are in their living room some people are outside and that's the beauty of zoom uh, we have the privilege today to have a conversation with dr fred cass who has been a longtime church member um, and is director of medical oncology at the ridley tree cancer center and i'll let him kind of discuss more of his background but we just wanted to have a conversation about uh, healing, faith, and miracles, and coming from his perspective as a doctor, as an oncologist, as a person of faith. Uh, and so we're going to have a conversation, and Fred's going to share some. And then at the end, um, and even in, in between, we invite you to participate as well. Um, Fred is a big fan of flexibility and inviting participation and uh, I really want to honor that because I think that's how great learning and conversation happens. Um, but before we begin, can just please join me in prayer. God, thank you so much for this time where we get to hear from Fred and we get to have a conversation about healing, about your desire to work in our world. Um, and about your love for each one of us. So just be present as we wrestle with hard questions, as we consider um, the hope of the resurrection. So we pray for your guidance and your blessing and your spirit. Pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So Fred, um, I just invite you to go ahead and um, yeah, introduce yourself and, and share a bit. Well, thank you, um, and thanks for welcoming me. Um, you know, it's it's a privilege to be, uh, to be part of this. Um, uh, I really um, hope that this will be a conversation. It's hard. I don't know if it's actually uh, electronically possible to interrupt on Zoom, but you can certainly tell when other people are talking. So I would... Um, I hope you'll envision this as some sort of talk around the table where people get, to, uh, particularly if it's the dinner table, people get to interrupt whenever they feel like it. And I hope that um, people who are listening will feel to interrupt, uh, feel free to interrupt me or, because um, I, I, I think this is best an ongoing conversation. I feel much more comfortable with that than, than trying to, talk for a long time about um, what it is that I do. I've been in uh, cancer medicine now for, um, well, I know it's above 30. At some point, I don't talk about how many years more than 30, because at some point I worry that my patients are gonna think their doctor is too old and they need a, new, a younger doctor, and maybe actually they do. But I've been uh, doing this for a long time and and um, uh, it's been just an extraordinarily extraordinary privilege, primarily the privilege of, of uh, relationship. Um, over the years, I've gotten to know so many people in such an intimate and personal way, and that's just been a, a privilege for me. One of the things that, one of the reasons I'm so interested in, in this conversation is is just the concept of healing and miracles. Um, I feel like I, I get to watch healing and miracles almost on a daily basis in my job. I think that uh, in some respects, um, part of the discussion is how we define healing and how we define miracles. Um, I feel that I see miraculous things happening um, around me, things that um, I continue to be grateful for, but they're not necessarily the miracles that we think of when we think about, uh, when we think about illness and, um, and recovery. I've always felt that um, we're, um, we're made mortal and that um, means that we can be healed even if we're not necessarily cured. And the, the miracles that I see are not necessarily the physical miracles of, 
of disease suddenly going away as much as the as the miracles, the spiritual miracles and the interpersonal miracles that happen when in the context of illness, we can, um, uh, we can search deeply into our own souls and we can connect with people in ways that, that perhaps we didn't think uh, possible. So um, I, I, I told Nikki that I would like to do this as a conversation and I, in which, as I said, I hope all of you will uh, participate, but I'm gonna ask Nikki to start the conversation and, and then feel free to let it be uh, uh, Nikki and, and me or, or just uh, interject your own thoughts or questions. Nikki, how should we start? Great. Yeah, Fred, we're really, really appreciate um, that introduction and just kind of your framing of miracles and healing. Um, so it is kind of a definition thing. Could I ask you, do you have a definition uh, or a general definition of what you consider healing to be? And sometimes kind of what you were speaking to, we um, restrict healing to certain physical outcomes and yeah so what could you even expand your definition what would your he definition of healing be um that might be helpful even to expand on that yeah i had a um uh patient many years ago who um when i met uh her and her family um they were just uh, terrified of the cancer diagnosis uh, that she had, uh, so much so that there was almost no conversation within her family about the reality of what she faced and um, the challenges of, of being well. And um, at the time they um, uh, came to me and said, um, you know, we'd like you to be our doctor and, and um, I didn't exactly place a condition on it, but what I said was, uh, hey, I would, I would welcome an opportunity to work with you, but, but you have to know that if I'm going to be part of your family conversation, we're going to have to talk openly about the details of of what you're facing and as a family and and um, uh, and what this woman is facing as a patient and reluctantly um, they agreed. And so those first few meetings were emotionally, spiritually quite challenging. Um, she had a, um, a disease from which um, the likelihood of recovery, long-term recovery may be small, although the possibility of, 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 of living successfully with the disease uh, is significant. And, but, um, and I don't wanna, I don't wanna claim credit for anything other than starting the conversation, but to my, um, Wow, I, I, I was so grateful because in fact, at some point everyone opened up and talked openly about the challenges. There was a extraordinary sense of relief. It, there was almost this conversation that no one was prepared to have. And yet once, once people had it, uh, you could sense the uh, relief in, in everyone, including the patient. Um, um, I think that she had sensed that this was a very difficult situation, but it was actually harder. What she imagined, because no one would talk about it, was actually worse than what she had. The fact of the matter is that, um, and I can't necessarily say that the two are created, but I, or I'm sorry, are related, but I will say that um, uh, her um, her clinical course was dramatically um, better than anyone had ever dreamt. Wow. And I can't 
necessarily say that one is related to the other, but I do think that spiritual and interpersonal and emotional healing had to precede any attempt to uh, to physically heal her. And and I and I think also people had the realization that. Um, that having achieved that level of spiritual and emotional healing, it wasn't that the physical healing wasn't important. It was just now suddenly in context. We are together as a family. We will manage whatever outcome um, uh, that is that we're that we're confronted with. Thanks, Fred. Um... I think, yeah, I think that I'm also interested in, I would imagine others are interested. So you are a Christian and then you're a cancer doctor, you're an oncologist. And so quite broadly, how does your faith impact your profession, impact your vocation? How does it help you even frame what you do? Um, and I have more specific questions later, but yeah, just broadly, I was wondering if you wanted to address. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, um, uh, you know, over, uh, over the time that I've been practicing, obviously there are times when, um, when physically things worked out as we had hoped and there are times when phys things physically didn't work out as we, um, as we had hoped. Um, I would say that um, I uh, could not have worked in this job as long as I, as I have without some fundamental uh, uh, faith. I actually think my faith has grown over time in this job. I think that to um, I don't know, you know, as, as the years went on, it, everything that I saw increased my faith. And then in addition to which, I think that, you know, when you're trained as a doctor, um, the fundamental training is that um, it's, it's extraordinarily secular, at least the, when I was trained, it was. And um, doctors are, trained to be in charge. I mean, to, a, uh, I, I think, frankly, to a fault. Um, but the, 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 the way doctors are trained, the training is that there's you and the patient and for purposes of the training, no one else is around. And you are just personally responsible for having the knowledge base to fix what's in front of you. Um, it, it, it places enormous responsibility on doctors. Um, but more than anything else, um, I think it gives doctors a, a unfortunately, a false sense that um, when things go well, it's because they fixed it. And, when, and conversely, when things don't go well, um, it's because they, they failed to fix it. And one of the things that we're confronted with as a profession these days is um, increasingly is physician burnout. Um, uh, physicians have trouble sustaining that. And I think part of the reason for that is um, we're, you know, we're instruments, we're partners. Um, ultimately, we don't fix them. And conversely, um, when physical illness is not fixable, um, that's the way God created the world. And it's, uh, conversely, it's, it's not because we fail. And for physicians, we, you know, we don't necessarily, you don't kind of see this necessarily when you interact with your doctor. Um, but physicians oftentimes do suffer from a fundamental self sense of failure that you don't get to see. We tend to see more of the confidence and, and at times, unfortunately, arrogance that we don't get to see the moments of, of, of 
real despair. So I think, I think ultimately, you know, fundamentally the concept of, of God is in charge. Um, you know, when I was finally able to accept that, uh, I think really enabled me to be a much better doctor. Yeah, thank you, Fred. I think it's encouraging to see how your faith has grounded you and sustained you um, in this very difficult job um, and grounded you and yeah, and a sense of really who we all are as created beings. Um, I think this this next question is is a hard question, and uh, you've probably wrestled with it in different ways. But I think um, just the real sometimes the reality that some people are healed and some others are not um, can often provoke challenges to faith. Um, challenges to trust in the goodness of God and and how do you process that that um, there are patients of yours who are healed and there are patients of yours that are not yeah how, how yeah I, I think part of the answer here is um, spiritual and um, part of it is to be honest um, uh, biological <laughs> um, you know when um, we, uh, we, you know, we have something that is, um, that's a physical challenge. And the first thing we either look up or we ask is what happens to other people who have this? What should my expectations be? Um, and then there's some reply that says most people who have this X happens. And the fact of the matter is that over time we've, come to appreciate, particularly now, that the this in this, what is it that we have um, uh, is, um, first of all, there is um, our description of physical challenges are really buckets of diverse, relatively similar, but very different things that happen. So for example, in my world, there are, I see a large number of women with breast cancer. Having said all that, um, I may have, um, I have a lot of patients in my practice of breast cancer. It's very hard for me to name two patients who have the same thing. Uh, we have been so good now at molecularly and biologically differentiating one form of an illness from another, that we've come to appreciate that, uh, that, that the category, for example, of breast cancer includes is really a description of a huge variety of, of relatively rare conditions, but they all all under the category of breast cancer, but two patients in my practice of breast cancer, if you just pick two arbitrarily, it's, it's um, extraordinarily unlikely that they would have the same thing. And then if you, if you add to that the, the biologic diversity that we have, how we, how our genes, who we are, what we've become, how we've kind of evolved, uh, by the time we get to adulthood, we're an incredibly diverse species. And so the interaction with, a, with illness uh, and given our diversity and given the, the diversity of, of, of illnesses, even the illnesses that, we, that have the same name, um, you can actually understand that the likelihood of two people having the same outcome uh, it's in some respects extraordinarily small and yet if we have x and we hurt and we know that someone else has x we ex if they were successful we expect to be successful and um so part of it is is the, the is is um not expecting the same outcome just simply on our modern understanding of of human biology and genetics 
the other possible the other the other reality is that um is that our um our faith guarantees us love but it it kind of doesn't guarantee us fairness and um uh, I mean, you know, what I was, I was telling to Nikki before we started, what is a manageable health problem in Santa Barbara, California is not a manage, not necessarily a manageable health problem in Nairobi. Um, the life expectancy, even within Santa Barbara, California, the life expectancy of a, of a young child is different depending upon which side of 101 they live. Um, so there are there are fundamental realities of of fairness that um, that um, uh, we don't we we can't we can't put to the test. So from my perspective, my my job is to and uh, is to assess what I can, what the challenges are. And do the best I can. And for, for patients, they do the same. And we both put our hearts and souls into it for the best possible outcome in in, in this life. And how we define the best possible outcome may or may not include physical healing, may, may be focused on spiritual and emotional healing. Yeah, Fred, I think it's interesting that um, our faith does remind us that even the season of Lent reminds us that our bodies, you even wrote this in an email that you sent to me, are vulnerable and fragile. Um, and Lent reminds us of even the fact that healing this side of heaven, this side of new creation is always temporary. Um, because, yeah, because even those who are, were healed by Jesus, they still ended up passing away. And so how, how do you think about that? That your, all, your job is to kind of be a coworker with Christ in healing. And yet to some degree, we understand that all healing is temporary as our bodies are fragile and vulnerable. Um, yeah, does that bring comfort to you? Does that challenge you? And how do you imagine yourself as a coworker with Christ? And, and how do you think about Jesus as a healer as you look at the Gospels and um, you see so many encounters of him healing the people who came to him? Yeah, how do you imagine Christ as a healer and Jesus as a healer? And how does that inform your work? Yeah, wow. Um... Uh, well, I, you know, I, um, obviously I, I pray mostly for, for, for guidance, not only for, for what I do as a doctor, but, you know, in large part, actually for what I say, I think that our, our, um, you know, for me, the conversations that I have with, with patients are, um, uh, in some respects, the most um, the most important part of the of of my interaction more than you know I mean I think there are a lot of people who can write the prescriptions that I write. Um, uh, there are other people who can um, you know provide the medicine. I think that part of part of part of what I hope that I get through faith is is the um, uh, is the ability of relationship and, and it's that, um, uh, and I, you know, and, and part of it is that I, I love that it's the real privilege of the job. I mean, there are all these people that I got to know and have gotten to know in such an intimate way that I don't know that I ever would have, you know, run into, or if I had, um, met them somewhere I certainly wouldn't know them in the in the intimate way that I I know them I I um I love fixing things um you know if you if you like um it's a great job to have if you like 
if you like fixing things. And, um, and I do love fixing things, but sometimes, um, sometimes you have to be uh, satisfied with fixing, um, fixing either what we would be considered the smaller things rather than the larger things, or sometimes fixing the larger things aren't the larger things that you think I'm supposed to fix. And so, um, I, you know, I feel like what, what God asked me to do is to do the best I can and then, and secure the victories when, when we can, remembering that, you know, as you pointed out in the beginning, um, uh, you know, when we, when we truly fix the whole thing, wow, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's magical. Um, but as you said, we're mortal. So even when we fix it, we're really simply delaying the process that we're all um, programmed to go through. And, um, you know, I remember that, you know, in the story of Lazarus, um, Jesus weeps for Lazarus and, and it's part of our task, no matter how faithful we are ultimately to weep for the people we lose in this life. And, and, and Jesus didn't address that grief by bringing Lazarus back into this life. Um, he addressed that grief by, by talking about the, the life that um, thereafter that Lazarus was destined to have. And in some respects, uh, when those times come up, that we don't fix this in a way that um, that fixes it for this life, I have to remember that as the model. I'm allowed to grieve, just as family is allowed to grieve, and I am um, consoled as 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 I hope we all are by the thought that there's that there's more to our lives than. Um, than what goes on in front of us right now. Um, thanks, Fred, for your honesty and vulnerability. And, and yeah, just the fact that um, your calling is to walk alongside people um, in sometimes the worst of times. And yeah, that's really beautiful and inspiring. Um, I was going to say, I, you know, the thing that um, we start off by talking about were, um, were miracles. And I, I had um, wanted to tell a, um, a story in that regard. Of, this, is, this goes back, um, if I think Sarah's somewhere in the, in the group here that's on. Let's see it. Wherever you are, I'll see you later. Um, uh, but Sarah and I, years ago, and this goes back a long time ago, um, there was a young patient of mine uh, who faced significant financial difficulty at the time of her, uh, when, she, when she became my patient. And we had a, um, we had a fundraiser for her, uh, you know, her friends organized it. And, and Someone was a travel agent and could arrange for a um, some free airline tickets. And someone else she knew had a condominium in Hawaii. So there was this package of if you won the the raffle, you got a week in the condo in Hawaii and free airfare to airfare to got, get to Hawaii. And so as you can imagine, um, they sold a, a lot of raffle tickets. Uh, they priced the raffle tickets to sell and they sold a ton of raffle tickets. All of her friends kept buying them. Um, and um, that we came to a Saturday night where they were going to, you know, pick who won the raffle. And the person who was involved in collecting all the money said, you know, we've got all the money. Why don't, um, I'm going to call this young woman, Carrie. Um, why don't we just find a way to give Carrie the trip? Like we'll give her the money and the trip and no one will know. And uh, I said, you know, that's great. You can't really do that. 
I mean, people bought raffle tickets. They may not win, but they're they're going to expect that 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 we do this fairly the way we said we would do it. Um, so, and he said, yeah, okay, yeah, I, I, I get it. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll do it. So, um, sometime later in the evening, uh, I got a call uh, at home from Carrie saying that they had picked the raffle winner um, and that Sarah and I had won the raffle. And I said, wow, you know, so of course, what we did was we turned around and, and, and gave the raffle to Carrie. Um, in my world at that time, that was truly miraculous. I, I don't know that it wasn't like the Red Sea parting, but at that moment in time, it um, it, it fulfilled all of my criteria for, um, uh, for miracles. And um, uh, so I, I, I love thinking about that. And I will tell you, if you, if, if from my perspective, if you define miracles that way, miracles doesn't necessarily mean dropping the, um, you know, illness disappearing, but, but, but although those miracles do happen, but if you define miracles and look for the times when God in our lives just uh, creates opportunities like that, um, wow, you get to see them more often than, than I thought I would see them when I first started working. Yeah, I think, I think that is, really beautiful and, and just goes back to the beginning about wanting to expand our definitions of healing and wanting to expand our definitions of miracles. Um, yeah, and, and I think our faith trains us to do that as well, um, to see the miraculous in unexpected places. And, and so I guess I'm also, um, how do you imagine or the hope of and then I want to open it up to other people, but so, right, we're, we're in this season of Lent where we're preparing for and considering um, the death and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and, and then Easter is coming, today's Palm Sunday, Easter is next Sunday, and Easter is when we celebrate Christ's victory over death, and when we get to imagine and remind ourselves of the hope that we have in the resurrection that um, these mortal bodies will be raised up again and we will be raised with Christ. And, and so, uh, yeah, has that provided hope for you? Um, I know your faith has grounded you. What kind of hope has, yeah. has faith played um, even for your patients or for you or yeah, kind of any way you want to take that? Yeah, so though, I mean, I also am conscious of the fact that um, we like being in this world and we want the people around us um, to stay around us. So it's, it's on the one hand, we, we have that faith. Um, you know, as a, as a society, it's, you know, it's very interesting where... Um, Listen sometime, um, if you can stand it, to uh, advertisements on the radio or TV for life insurance. Um, uh, the really remarkable thing about those ads is they actually don't mention dying. <laughs> they uh, simply mention life insurance as something you buy to have. And it's, it's like... Um, uh, they sell it like a new, like a really nice new piece of clothing, and there's nothing in it about um, death and grief. And so we we grow up uh, at least secularly with a um, with without much training in accepting um, our 
fragility as as kind of as as beings and so it's you know um i think that 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 conflict that we all have to work out is 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 accepting that we're mortal deciding what our goals are in this life and and deciding what we think comes when this life ends and coming to terms with the fact that um, um, we love all the people who are around us, um, but we are, we are not created to be together forever. And how we manage that as humans is so, is so, is so challenging. I think the, uh, what what East you know for me what Easter invites me to do is just renew my consciousness of the fact that we're doing um, the best we can to be uh, the best versions of ourselves possible in this life, and to acknowledge the fact that um, that even those of us who do it perfectly we'll find at some point that this life ends and and easter invites us to to think about what comes thereafter well thank you fred yeah i think that was beautifully and simply put um uh fred is that okay if we open it up to see if yeah oh yeah please do because i'll um at some point, I'll start repeating myself, and then you'll wonder, hey, does he have nothing else to talk about? <laughs> okay, so um, we're going to go ahead and open it up. Um, so please feel free if you have a comment or a question or a word of encouragement. I will say I was looking the other uh, day. I'll just tell somebody, somebody interrupt me, but I'll just... Um, I was looking the other day when I was thinking about uh, this today, thinking, um, uh, you know, where do we, what, what, do, what, what in life do we tend to consider from a secular standpoint, just from a cultural standpoint, what do we consider miracles? And, um, and it, it just seems like um, secularly, we, we mostly use miracles uh, we mostly use them in sports. I was actually playing for myself um, uh, yesterday, the, the last couple of minutes of the 1980 hockey game uh, at Lake Placid when the Russians uh, who hadn't lost uh, soccer, uh, sorry, they hadn't lost a hockey game in the Olympics since 1968 and who had beat the U.S. in an exhibition match, something like 10 to 3. Um, uh, you know, had this semifinal match in Lake Placid where, you know, a bunch of amateur, mostly kids who mostly knew each other from playing hockey together at the University of Minnesota, um, beat the best hockey team anybody had, had ever imagined. And at the, um, at the end of the very end of the broadcast, as I think, I think a lot of people know this, at the very end of the broadcast, as the time is running out, Al Michaels, who was the broadcaster at the time, famously asked, you and, um, and that's, of course, he tells us, answer it the answer is, is there but i think one of the reasons that that we hold on to stuff like that is that um um their illustrations reminders that when it all seems to be that the outcome is is preordained um guess what not so fast um, and, and, and I think that's why people hold on to that and find that, that image so, uh, hopeful even now, what, more than 40 years later. Fred, I wasn't on the conversation at the very beginning, but I'm wondering, 
and I don't think I've ever asked you this myself, but do you invite patients to, I mean, do you encourage and provoke patients to tell you about their own spiritual life or their own faith community to be able to tap into that? Oh yeah, thanks for asking that. Um, yes, it, it's not. Um, it's not one of the first questions. Um, you know, it's funny if you make if you make it one of the first questions, then um, patients can misinterpret it. Like, well, this must be really bad if if he's asking me if I believe in God. Um, uh, but. Uh, but somewhere along the way, uh, Jenny, yeah, it's really important. And it's important because in, um, uh, an element of faith in our lives is so important. It's, it makes it, um, it's, it's very empowering for patients. And I, it's, uh, patients, I think, in my experience, do much better uh, and cope with, uh, with the challenges of illness and the challenges of treatment so much more successfully if faith is part of their, um, if faith is part of their lives. And so uh, I certainly want to know that. And, and when patients, when, when faith really is a big part of patients' lives, I'm more than happy to make that an ongoing part of the conversation as we, as we uh, go through the process of treatment, um, both to reinforce their faith and to utilize it as a source of, of, um, of strength. I think the challenge, well, Janie, is, is well, patients don't have faith. Um, where are there still opportunities? It's not, I don't, it's not my job to introduce people to faith, or at least I don't feel that it is. On the other hand, if there's a glimmer of it in the room, I'm more than happy to encourage it. Thanks. Go for it, Susan. You don't need to raise your hand. <laughs> Hi, Fred. It's Susan Hi. Horn. Hi, Susan. Hey. Um, I have a friend that is very, uh, she's a vegan and, and very into natural healing and, and alternative medicine and all, all of that, which I am partly. And, and um, she had breast cancer and you were her doctor and she just met and she went through uh, like a lumpectomy, I guess. It was a small uh, lump and... Um, and then the after treatment was, um, she had radiation for every day for, during the week for a few, few weeks. And, and then she met with you to see what was following up. And um, I was interested to see what would happen because I know that she wants the least interference, you know, of, of uh, you know, uh, difficult and or over-the-top medications and things and and you just listen to her apparent from this is what she said I didn't tell her I knew you I wanted to see what would happen and she said yeah he just um he agreed that I didn't need to do anything past this you know that I that I don't have to take the next five years of medication or whatever it was and um I just really incur was encouraged by that that you really listened to her and you and, it, and luckily you, what you said was in line with what she was thinking too. And, and she was afraid of having to take. Yeah, well, I think the hard part and is, I just, is that that advice about what to do really arises from in part research from what people have. Right, exactly, yeah. from and the research, from the- Depending what people have and what the risks are, we kind of try to balance risks and benefits. Um, so I was happy to be able to give her the advice she wanted. I can't say that I'm always giving people the advice that they want. Well, that's my question. What happens when you, your opinion about what is best for the person is very different than what they agree to do? What do you, well, how do you handle that? Well, I think that, um, you know, first of all, uh, it's, 
it's my job to be a partner with people, not to be their boss. <laughs> um, so it's, it's, you know, I tell people, I may say um, there's an advantage to X, but I'm often tell them I'm not sending the police to their house to find out if they're taking it. Um, the, you know, part, there's a, there's a whole series of things. Um, but, but first of all, I will just say, just given the diversity of, of, of illnesses, there's a, um, what, what one patient needs may be completely different from what other patient needs. Secondly, when we, when we prescribe therapy, um, uh, there's an, there's, um, Frequently, you know, what we try to do is we try to estimate what the advantage is to people, but ultimately it's up, uh, I think it's up to us to decide um, what's best for us. And there are patients who have assumed risk and, and decided to invest in what would be non-traditional medical therapy, perhaps more than more than I would, but uh, you know, that's my, my job is not to, um, my job is not to control how people live. My job is to just be the most informative, helpful doctor I can be. And everybody from my perspective needs to assess the options as best they can. I, I feel that my major responsibility is, is when patients make decisions, I need to be feel secure that they have all the information they need to, to choose wisely. Um, I like to think that, um, you know, when I, I tell this story sometimes to patients when I was growing up um, in Philadelphia, um, once a year, there was a, uh, my father had an industry meeting in, in, in Chicago. And um, I felt sometimes like, um, like when they went to Chicago for them, it was like going to Paris. They, you know, um, they were like a month before the trip, they'd be talking about what they were going to do in Chicago. And when it came time to go to the meeting, um, my father would drive my mother to the train station the day before and she would take the overnight train from Philadelphia to Chicago then the next day he would fly and when he got to fly, got to Chicago he would take a cab and time it and take a cab to the train station and pick up my mother and then when they came back they would they would they would do the opposite um uh and we, we talked about this and, you know, I see, you know, my mother was conscious of the fact that planes fall out of the sky and, um, and I don't care how small the risk is. Uh, I'm not getting in a plane that can fall out of the sky. And my father was saying, you know, I don't like sleep, trying to sleep in a train overnight. I don't care what the risk is of falling out of the sky. Oh. I'll take it if I don't have to sleep, try to put myself to sleep in a train. Um, they had completely different views of, of, of risk and somehow they worked it out. And, and um, I think people have, people will say, Hey, um, if there's a pill I can take that even the, even decreases my risk of something bad happening by a little bit. I want to do it. My threshold for risk is small. And there are others who say, look, it's not worth, it's not worth it to me. I'll just, I feel comfortable assuming that risk. I want to do X. And, 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 and I think my job is to honor that. Thanks. Any other questions or comments? Don't be shy. It's an open spot. I think Janie might say something. Uh, uh, this is Bob Perlis. Uh, how are you doing, doctor? Hi. Um, in, in cases where uh, there's obvious uh, uh, spiritual healing going on that has occurred, have you noticed any coincident biomarkers that were a surprise to you? Um, 
I could be that I'm not hearing it well. Uh, I don't, um, or Nikki, help me. I'm, I'm not quite understanding what the question is. For somebody who has obviously been, faith has received faith healing, have you noticed any coincident biomarkers? That's oh, oh. Um, I, I, I love the fact that by and large, the answer is no. Because <laughs> um, I, I don't, um, I'm glad we don't, uh, I'm glad we don't have a way of trying to figure out how to understand that biologically. I think the, um, I love the mystery of it. I just, I relish the fact that um, miracles, miracles. Uh, healing can happen for reasons that I don't necessarily, um, that I don't necessarily understand. I think it becomes confusing because there are some illnesses that naturally go into a period of dormancy and then naturally fall out of dormancy. And we know that that's the natural history of the disease and for, for patients for whom uh, faith is really important, it becomes, uh, it becomes really confusing to try to figure out whether this has really worked or whether this is what the disease wants to do. Um, but uh, no, I think there's, uh, there's tremendous mystery in all this and um, to be honest, um, I'm, I for one, I don't know that my younger colleagues would agree, but I for one, I'm delighted to not understand it all. I'm, I'm happy to be the best uh, instrument and partner I can be and, and then be as mystified as everybody else. Uh, that's wonderful. It's a mystery. I have a question for you, Dr. Cass, or anybody else on the call, but particularly those who have like been in situations in which close family or friends have been pretty sick. Um, balancing or I guess the question being hope, like having faith that like knowing God can heal, but not having hope in the that your loved one will heal like your hope being centered on god but not um losing sight of the possibility of recovery i guess like that sort of it's just a really tricky like place to be in i think like hoping for healing but not putting your hope in healing you know so if anyone has experience with like navigating that type of yeah, those questions, and I live here. I will offer that, that oftentimes, and this particularly comes up in conversations with children when parents are are ill. Um, um, there's always often the comment, um, "Okay, tell tell mom or tell dad what's going on," but 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 don't do anything that takes away their hope, right? Um, and, um, uh, and, and, and people, um, and I think this is very, I absolutely understand it very appropriate, but people will call up and say, hey, there's a meeting on Tuesday. I wanna to talk to you about what you're gonna say. Cause I, I'll, we, don't, we don't want you to say X, right? And, um, you know, I think that, you know, the thing is, as um, I've never, there's nothing I've ever said that has been, I shouldn't say, you know, I, I think we, we, we started this, I think that we, um, one of the things that I noticed in is that when we've had a really frank conversation about what's going on, most of the time, 
what's going on is not as bad as people imagine. No matter how daunting it is, we have the ability to imagine it even worse than it is. And it's, it's, it's not unusual, and I'll, I'll wrap this up so other people can, can, um, can comment. It's, it's not unusual to um, lay out what's going on and what, what, what we hope for and um, what can go right and what can go wrong. And it's not unusual to lay all that out completely honestly. And no matter how daunting it is to have patients look up and say, wow, I'm relieved. I thought it was much worse than that. And find even in the reality of life, um, hopefulness that maybe their families didn't recognize that they might have. Yeah. I have something to add on that perspective. Yeah. Um, so from the perspective of a patient, I had, as many of you know, something in my brain a number of years ago, and I needed a craniotomy. And um, leading up to the discovery that we had to do a craniotomy, God had given me the faith that when we pray and ask for peace, he gave me the peace he promises. Yeah. So I would say going into my surgery, I had more peace than my family members could, because I had asked for that peace. And so for me, the outcome actually didn't matter, which I couldn't tell my family members. You know, Dave's probably hearing me right now, but at the time I was like, either way, you know, it's good. But um, that I think is actually harder to tell your family members. And I'm sure some people who are struggling with cancer feel that too that, you know, in either case, it's okay with me. Yeah. Probably is not okay with the family members in, in many cases. Allison, that's, uh, thank you. That's, that's perfect. You're quite right. That same family where son or daughter calls up and says, I got to talk to you before you talk to mom. It's not unusual in the same situation for mom to call me up and say, hey, you know, I get what's going on. I'm fine with this. You and I will work this out. What are we going to do about my daughter who's really not coping very well? Yeah. By the way, there's one interesting observation. Um, and, and, and that is that uh, in, with regard to Allison, to the point that you made in this kind of dynamic between patient and family, in some respects, patients at, at some point being able to incorporate all this and have peace with God in a way that family members don't. In my experience, the challenges of family members are um, proportional to the distance um, that they live. So in this, you know, in, in, in previous generations, you know, multiple generations lived together and a household included the youngest and oldest. And if you moved, you moved a couple blocks away. Uh, you didn't move a couple thousand miles away. And in current society, we have this um, cultural diaspora where um, I talk to patients and they have one family member in Detroit and one family member in Florida, one family member in Massachusetts. And that relationship that you're talking about, Allison, is particularly difficult for, for family members who live far away. It just seems that the family members who live nearby and are part of, if not a day-to-day, -day, but a close relationship have it have an easier time understanding the peace that their mother or sister or whatever has achieved, but someone whose relationship is only by telephone occasionally um, just can't just just kind of can't make that transition. I'm not suggesting that was the case for your family, but in general, I think that happens a lot. So. I want to just, yeah, Fred, when I was um, 
uh, I've always loved having you in the halls of the hospital. And um, when I was teaching nursing students, it was you, uh, I asked you what, I, what would be the most th important thing to teach them about oncology. Uh -oh. And I've, your answer was so wonderful because you said to me, you know, Janie, the most important thing is that we give them this full-on treatment plan and it's like ABC through Z. And sometimes it gets all complicated and everything. But the most important thing for them to know is to encourage the relationships within the family, which is what you were just talking about, is that the families and their relationship with a patient and to, to make sure, like if it's a child, that if there's something that they did, like they play cards every Sunday, that they should play cards still and to make sure that things that were solid parts of their relationship would continue uh, throughout the healing process, whatever that meant in the, in the end, um, if it was to be a moral end or if it was to be a temporary healing or a miraculous healing. But yeah. anyway, comment on that because I would like to. Um, yeah, Jane, you're spot on. In fact, I think one of the real, you know, we have these um, relationships that um, uh, we've been meaning to fix and we kind of don't get around to it. I have my own list. Uh, mm -hmm. And then something happens and, 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 and fixing it or at least addressing it becomes, takes on a real urgency it didn't it didn't that didn't happen before and i think that um one of the kind of uh, wonderful healing opportunities come up when i talk to patients and they talk about their relationship with their spouse or relationship with their kids and the the depth of it now um, the things that they are in the midst of sharing that they may not have shared before and how meaningful and important that is. I think that's, I think, thank you for bringing that up. Because mm -hmm. it was clear, you said separate the, have the families or have the people separate the treatment plan. The treatment plan is one thing, but their relationships with each other yeah. ultimately um, are more important yeah, as and, they and go it, through it, the it, process. It's not unusual, and I'm thinking, you know, um, uh, it's not, I'm thinking of some conversations I've had recently. It's not unusual. Um, you know, I have Zoom meetings with patients now because there are a lot of conversations they don't really have to come in the office. And it's not, and, and then Zoom, one of the great things about Zoom meetings is they tend to be kind of more reflective and philosophical because you're not in an exam room. It doesn't feel quite so medical. I really actually quite like them. I think the opportunities for conversation are extraordinary. And, and these days it's the only way to talk with patients without us both wearing masks. But it's not unusual in these conversations to be, to wind up actually not talking about the treatment or not talking about biological things, but so how you get along with your daughter these days? Um, and um, are your, you know, do your friends understand what's going on and do you feel like um, you have a supportive group of friendships? I mean, those are the kinds of conversations that we have in some respects as often as we're talking about medical stuff. And um, so I think, you know, I think you're right. Cause all, cause ultimately if all these relationships get fixed um, we all do better, we're all just healthier and, <laughs> and, and um, we sleep better. And um, uh, you know, one of, you know, so it's, it's, I, I, I agree. It's a really big deal. Um, well, I think we might be at the end of our time. Um, and to Fred, just thank you so much for sharing this space mm -hmm. with us and your wisdom and your thoughtfulness and your continued service um, to our community. We so appreciate you. And so to close, I, I just wanted to um, read from 
Romans 8, because um, I know a lot of people on the call, um, either they have experienced great illness or cancer or that close family members have. Um, and so I just wanted to remind us, um, even with Easter coming up, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. So from Romans 8. He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or... It's over in like three seconds. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Um, and so... I just thank you, Fred, for your work. And as we contemplate healing, um, both temporary healing and miraculous healing and the eventual healing, when we get to dwell with God, um, we know that God's love will never be separated from us. And we can hope in that. Um, but I, Fred, thank you again, just for your time. And yeah, any closing words or... Nope. Great. Awesome. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks, Fred. Thank you.